reading tonight comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 to 37. It's on page 243 of the Black Bibles. 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Soko and Azekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from the taxes in Israel. 
David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. Thanks, Ali. Nice to be with you this evening, either online or in person. It's a great quote. Uh, when fear knocks on the door of your life, when fear knocks on the door of your life, let faith answer it for you. Think about that. When fear knocks on the door of your life, send faith to answer it. It's saying, have faith, not fear. Don't, don't live paralyzed by fear, but live a life of faith, trusting God, believing God. It's, it's Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, says God for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's what our God says to you tonight. Don't fear. Don't live your lives paralyzed by fear. And it sounds lovely, doesn't it? Sounds so comforting, but how do you do that? And fear is this Unpleasant emotion, isn't it? Fear is this, this gut-wrenching, head-spinning emotion. When, you, when you're under threat from danger or pain or hurt or harm or uncertainty, fear is this feeling where it, it almost paralyzes you. you, know, you can't think straight. You don't know what to do. You want to curl up in a ball and just cry and hope it all goes away. In those moments, 
when you're tempted to fear, it's actually going to reveal where your true security and faith lies. Because I want to say, as evangelical Christians, we are so good at quoting Scripture. We'll have a good Joshua 1 verse 9. Now be strong and be courageous and don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We're good at quoting Scripture. But in those moments, in that moment of bad news, the moment of opposition, the moment of uncertainty, the moment of pain, will you have deep faith? Will you have faith in God's power? Will you have had faith in God's plan? Will you have faith in God's provision? Will you have faith in God's goodness and God's deliverance? Now, your faith doesn't change the situation, but it changes your perspective on it. You might still feel sad, lonely, or hurting, but you're not paralyzed by fear. Billy Graham says this, fear can paralyze you and keep you from believing God and stepping out in faith. The devil loves a fearful Christian. And I think he's right. The devil loves a fearful Christian. The devil loves it when our minds are filled with uncertainty and insecurity and doubt and questions and we, God is whispering, uh, the devil's whispering, God doesn't care and God's not there. Now when fear comes knocking at the door of your life, send faith to answer it for you. Now, that's our big idea tonight. I've got just one point tonight. It's on the screen. Live by faith, not by fear, in the face of your foes. That is David and Goliath, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It is so well known. It's so badly taught. This is not about the good guy defeating the bad guys. This is certainly not about uh, naming all, all your Goliaths in life and, and slaying all those Goliaths. And this is not about finding the five stones of faith, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and using those stones for everything. That is garbage. This story is a story about faith and fear. So in 1 Samuel 17, it would be really helpful to have your Bibles open tonight. If you don't know the context, God's people are in deep, deep trouble. God's people have demanded a king. They say, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. So God gives them a king. His name is Saul. He's a terrible king. And Israel made two massive mistakes, I think, that we constantly make. The first mistake was this, that they, they'd forgotten God. They had forgotten that God had always delivered them. They've forgotten that God had delivered them in the past. They've forgotten the stories about God delivering them through the Red Sea and God providing and God protecting. They'd seen it, they'd experienced it, but they've forgotten it. And I think we're good at that, aren't we? In that moment of panic, we're quick to forget that God has delivered us before and to do it again. Here's the second mistake. They had terrible theology. They expected God's power to be shown through human strength. They expected God to raise up a mighty warrior king. They had not understood that God's power is made perfect in what? In weakness. So let's follow the story along. It's this brilliant narrative. It's like a movie with character development, with tensions, obscure details. We've got four scenes. But as we go, I need you to ask two questions. As we hear the story, you've got to ask yourself two questions. The first question is this, how is David pointing me to Jesus? 
because I hope you know that Jesus is the son of David. He is David's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson. And so as David steps out into battle, we're supposed to ask, how is this like Jesus stepping out into battle for us? And the second question is this, how is David like us? How are we supposed to be like David in this story? So live by faith, not by fear, in the face of your foes. Let's come to scene one, verses one to 11. And scene one is all about fear, not faith. Read verse one with me. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. So this is the first foe. It's called the Philistines. They were, they were loud. They were powerful. They were obnoxious. They were influential. They, they mocked God. They mocked God's people. And you've got the, the Philistines on one side of the valley, and you've got the Israelites on the other. So you've got the enemies of God against the people of God. And the Philistines are personified. They're represented by this champion named Goliath. And he's terrifying, utterly terrifying. Verses 4 to 7, his, his appearance is terrifying. Verse 4, his height was six cubits and a span. He is nine foot nine. He's three meters tall. So that's three times the average height of a doorframe. He's enormous. He wears this, this ton of metal, uh, the bronze helmet, the chain mail of armor weighing 60 kilograms. He's got bronze on his legs. He's got a spear in his hand like a javelin with a pointed iron tip. And the shield is so big, verse 7, he needs a servant to carry it. So to our human eyes, Goliath looks menacing, massive, impressive, and indestructible. He looks terrifying. He sounds terrifying, verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? I am powerful. I am unbeatable. I am majestic. I am mighty. And you, you're just the servants of Saul. Look at you. You're weak. You're pathetic. You're a nobody. And then the Philistine says, verse 10, this day I defy the armies of Israel. That's the worst taunt I mock, I scorn, I ridicule you and your pathetic God. We're told down in verse 16, for 40 days the Philistine came, morning and evening, just like Satan taunting Jesus in the wilderness, morning and night for 40 days, taunting God's people. That is the enemy, slamming God, dishonoring God, mocking God, mocking God's people. Now, how should people of faith respond? People should have said, our God has saved us before, he'll do it again. People of faith should say, God has promised to be with us and God promised to deliver us. God has proven to be faithful. They'd experience his power, experience his provision, experience his rescue again and again and again. And they should have been offended. They should have said, how dare this man mock our God? That's the eyes of faith. But they don't. They live in fear. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all these lights, they were, they were dismayed and terrified. They, they pressed the panic button. They, they panicked. They, he looked terrifying. He sounded terrifying. And so they were filled with fear. And I love this acronym. Fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Have you ever done that? 
the, the thing in front of you, it seems so daunting. It seems so powerful. It looks impressive. And so you crumble with fear. That's scene one. But I want to ask you, what are the enemies that you and I face? As Christians, what does the Bible say your enemies are? I hope you've heard of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, These are the enemies that that all of us face every single day. The world is shouting at us. It's seducing us. We're tempted to compromise, and we've got to fight it. Uh, Every day, your flesh, your inner nature, your sinful nature is rearing its ugly head. You know, the things that you, you want to do, you don't do. The things that you don't want to do, you keep on doing. What a wretched person we are. And the devil, that enemy that roams to and fro, he never slumbers, never sleeps. He prowls like a a lion looking for Christians to devour. He's the liar, he's the deceiver, and he's whispering that God can't do it. They're the foes. And the question is, will you live in fear or faith? Come to scene two, verses 12 to 27. This is about faith, not fear. We move from the valley of Elah to a little town in Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar? Verse 12, now David. There are three now Davids, verse 12, verse 14, and verse 15. Now David, the Lord's anointed one, God's chosen king, the, the one who appears weak. He's not a giant. He's a skinny, small shepherd boy. Have you seen those ads where you've got that diamond? It goes, uh, from little things, big things grow. He kind of had that little diamond over these verses. From this little shepherd boy, big things are going to go home. And then the David, verse 12, was the son of Jesse from Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah. Hmm, that sounds familiar. In verse 13, Jesse's three elder brothers are out fighting on the front line. They're the kind of people you'd expect God to use to save his people. The strong, the mighty, the powerful ones. But verse 14, but David... He was the youngest. He was just a shepherd going back and forth to tend his father's sheep. So you've got a a shepherd who's been anointed king. Does that sound familiar? And I love verses 17 to 19 because they're so mundane. They're so ordinary. Verse 17, Jesse said to his son David, take the roasted grain and take ten loaves of bread and take along ten cheeses to the commander. And it's, it's, almost, it's almost laughable. You've got Goliath on one side with spears and shields and swords, and you've got David with cheese and biscuits. It's pathetic. And this is the point of the story, that nobody in the valley that day would ever, ever, ever imagine that little David would save and deliver God's people. And you've got to realize, friends, that nobody in that little town of Bethlehem on that first Christmas would ever imagine a little baby would ever rescue God's people. I hope you realize the Lord Jesus Christ did not look impressive. There was nothing about Jesus' appearance that would make him impressive. People said, isn't this just a carpenter's son? Isn't he Joseph's son? There was no fanfare. There was no fireworks. He just lived this perfect, obedient life. Anyway, David reaches the battlefield and 
we're told in verse 23 that he hears the mocking and the taunting of Goliath. And that is a turning point in the story. And David speaks in verse 26. These are the first words of David in the entire Bible. Up until this point, he's been mute. Do you know how some people talk and talk and talk and talk and no one listens? You've got those people in your your connect group where they talk and talk and talk and no one listens to them. And there's other people in your connect group who hardly say a word. But when they do speak, it's worth listening to. Have you got those people? When, when David speaks, you hang off his every word. It's rich in theology. Look at verse 26. David says this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who does he think he is? that he should defy the armies of the living God. Do you really expect the living God to allow this uncircumcised pagan buffoon to trample on God's people? How dare he dishonor God? That's the tone there. David is saying, what drives me is is a passion for God when I see God's name and God's fame and God's glory and God's majesty and God's might being dishonored. How dare he? See, eyes of faith... See your enemies quite differently. You're not terrified by them. You stand in contempt of them. How dare he mock the living God? Now, his God is dead, powerless, lifeless, idolatrous, the Philistine gods of Dagon. But our God is a living God. He can hear, he can see, he can act, he cares, he's able. And I just wonder whether you see life through these eyes of faith. You know, when you walk down the streets of Sydney and you hear people blaspheming the name of your God, using the name of Jesus, are you, are you cut to the core by that? When you hear people mocking the living God and denying the scriptures and ridiculing Christians, your heart should break. That is David, the man of faith. Come to scene three. And it's fear again, not faith. Verses 28 to 33, fear, not faith. We meet two more foes, two people who live by fear, not by faith. And they're not Philistines, they're actually Israelites. They're people that we assume to be God's people, but they're not. And again, I hope you know there are people within God's church who oppose God's king. The first is called Eliab. Verse 28, he's David's oldest brother. He is the one who is tall, strong, strapping, the eldest son, the one that Samuel looked at and thought, surely this is God's king. But he's angry. Verse 28, when he hears David speaking with the man, he, he burned with anger and asked, why have you come down here, David? And with whom did you leave those few pathetic sheep? You're just a shepherd boy. Actually, he's not. He's God's chosen king. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Actually, you don't know that because you're not God. I want to ask you, who who did Eliab remind you of with a tongue dripping with contempt? He's just another Goliath in Israelites' clothing. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That is Eliab. He's full of contempt for God's king. He arrogantly thinks he still has more power and is more important than God's king. You have Eliab, you have Saul, who is just pathetic. Saul does not lead God's people. Saul does not cry out to God. Saul does not draw battle plans. He just flees in fear. Worse than that, he offers worldly rewards of money and marriage. 
And when David steps forward in verse 32, he says, I will fight. Saul just laughs and says, you're not able to fight. You're just a pathetic shepherd boy. I hope you realize, friends, that opposition to God's chosen king, opposition to Jesus Christ, does not just come from outside the church. We expect the world to mock Jesus. We expect the world to mock Christians. But sadly, too often there are people within the church, wolves in sheep's clothing, and they deny God's power. They deny the uniqueness of Jesus. They twist God's word. Did God really say? And people within the church who make false promises like an easy life and people within the church who stand in contempt for Christians. That's the battle we face. Come to our last scene, scene four, verses 34 to 49. This is the climax. It's about faith, not fear. Faith, not fear. It's not about David's cleverness or David's courage or his skill or his strategic plan. It's about faith. And it's not about the depth of David's faith. It's about the God in whom David's faith is in. As I've been preparing to to preach this week, I've had that song in my head, Our God is mighty to save. Remember that? Our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. That is God rescuing, delivering, redeeming and saving. Love verses 34 to 37. David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Yes, I'm a shepherd. But shepherds live in constant watch for their flock. So when a lion comes or a bear comes and carries off a sheep, I go after it and I strike it and I rescue the sheep. He's saying there to Saul, how dare you say I have no experience of war? Every day is a battle for me. Every day I'm alert to threats. Every day I'm fighting the enemies. And who cares whether it's a ferocious bear or a ferocious lion or some arrogant, enormous Philistine? Now, verse 37 is a theological statement that you have to believe. Church, you've got to live by verse 37. The Lord, that is Yahweh, the first time the covenant name is used, Yahweh. Yahweh who rescued me from the paw of the lion. So so God's hand was behind the rescue, not David's strength. And God's hand was behind the paw of the bear, not David's strength. And the same God who rescued him from the lion and from the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. It is great, great theology. He's saying, look back in faith. Do you ever do that? If you're a Christian, look back on your Christian life. And remember all the times God has rescued you. Look back on all the times that God's been good to you. Look back at all the times God has provided for you and God has protected you and God has delivered you and God has saved you. And if he's done it before, he can do it again. He might not deliver you in this life, but he will in the life to come. It's not just that God is is able, but he is mighty to save. He's powerful to save. This is the climax. You've got, you've got giant Goliath with sword and spear and shield, and you've got David with five stones and some cheese and biscuits. So verse 41. The Philistine, that is Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, he kept coming closer to David, and he looks and he looks and looks and says, who is this pathetic boy? He's young. He's a nobody. He is weak. He is vulnerable. He is pathetic. And he says to David, verse 43, am I a dog? How dare you insult me that you come at me with sticks? You are such an unworthy opponent. Oh, how he underestimates God. 
And Goliath says, verse 44, come here, I'm going to kill you and give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David says, no, you are not. Verse 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin and all this human strength, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies, the God of hosts, the all-powerful, the all-conquering one. I come against you in the name of Jesus Christ. And this day, verse 46, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down, I'll cut off your head. And I'll give the carcass of the Philistines to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there is a God. And all those gathered here will know it's not by sword, not by spear, the Lord says, the battle belongs to the Lord. Love that. He said, I come in the name of the Lord. I fight in the power of the Lord. I'll destroy you in the Lord's name and the whole world will know that God is God. Not by human power, but by, by weakness. And it's a total anticlimax, isn't it? One stone, six centimeters in diameter, one sling, one slingshot, if it goes about 200 kilometers an hour, hits Goliath here, falls backward, he's dead. Not by sword, because David has no sword. He has to borrow a sword to cut off Goliath's head. But God is the one who's mighty to deliver and mighty to save. Reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? One man... At one time in history, on an old wooden cross, dying for the sins of the world. It sounds foolish, but that is the power of God to save. That's how God chooses to forgive your sins. That's how God chooses to wash your sins away. That's how God chooses to cover your shame. And that's how God chooses to turn his wrath away and turn it on to Jesus Christ. That is your, your saviour, mighty to save. And I want to say, church, God might not deliver you from your sickness or your suffering. God might not deliver you from your loneliness, your sadness, your heartache. But he has and he will deliver you from your sins. He has and he will deliver you from hell. And he will deliver you from the world, the flesh and the devil if you go in his name, not in your strength. So live by faith, not by fear. And I hope you know that the life of faith is life of victory. That's the epilogue, verse 50, just one verse. David triumphed. David was victorious over his enemies, over the Philistines. Victory, victory, victory. And God's people should have said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Praise Jesus for his victory. But you know what? They didn't. Lived in fear, not by faith. I want to ask you, do you live your Christian life every day as a life of victory? Do you wake up every morning and saying, in my Lord Jesus Christ, I have victory over sin. The penalty for my sin has been paid. The power of sin has been dealt with. I have victory in Jesus. Do you wake up each day having victory over, over Satan? 
and say, get behind me, Satan. You have no power over me. I've got Jesus Christ. He's made a public spectacle of you at that cross. And you live each day with victory over that greatest enemy called death. No death, where is your sting? No death, where is your victory? Take that death. You have no power of me. I do not fear death because our Lord Jesus Christ smashed through the grave. The story of David and Goliath is the story of God, the almighty God, the all-powerful God, the living God, the delivering God, who says to his people, live by faith, not by fear. Live by faith, not by fear. I want to say, church, when fear comes knocking at your door, as it will, as it does all the time, when fear comes knocking at your door, send faith to answer it. Because Max Licardo says, when you feed your fears, your faith will starve. But when you feed your faith, then your fears will starve to death. So live by faith, not by fear, in the face of all of your foes. We pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the living God. You are the almighty God. You are the saving God. You're the delivering God. And Father, we are so sorry for the times when we face situations in life and we're paralyzed by fear. We're sorry for times when we don't take you at your word. We're sorry for times when we don't believe that you can rescue us and that you can save us and that you are good. Lord, please help us to live by faith and not by fear.